The Future Works, a podcast for workforce professionals, hosted by me, Melinda Mack. You don't have to be a parent to know that childcare is expensive. However, if you don't have children, you might not realize just how hard it is to find. When I had my first child living in New York City, we were shocked that we had to begin contacting providers as soon as we found out we were pregnant to potentially get a spot, and even that wasn't a guarantee. And if you're looking for non-traditional hours because you work nights, weekends, or really any time other than 9 to 5, good luck. And as you can imagine, the pandemic has made it even worse. There's reports that over 1,500 providers have closed for good. Additionally, these childcare workers that we entrust to protect, care for, and teach our children are in high demand, but their wages are not. Many make around minimum wage to work a hard, challenging job, which they love, but it becomes challenging to attract, retain, and promote these talented staff. So for today's The Future Works podcast, we'll be joined by Meredith Chimento, the Executive Director of the Early Care and Learning Council, or the ECLC, we will share how the pandemic is reshaping the childcare landscape, how the federal and state governments are making massive investments into the industry to make it more affordable and accessible, and how businesses are starting to step up to support their workforce because they realize it makes a difference to their bottom line. So with that, we hope you enjoy today's show. So I'm here today with Meredith from the Early Care and Learning Council, um, who's going to talk to us about child care. Meredith, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi. So my name is Meredith Chimeno. I'm the Executive Director of the Early Care and Learning Council, and we're a statewide membership organization that serves 35 child care resource and referral agencies throughout New York State. And so CCRNRs are probably something you haven't heard of before. I myself wasn't exactly sure what they did, but I see it in three different buckets. So CCRNRs help parents access affordable quality childcare. So anyone can call a CCRNR or look them up online and we'll help you locate affordable, accessible childcare. And if you're eligible, parents can net, we'll help you navigate the childcare subsidy system. Um, the second thing we do is work with child care providers in all 62 counties of New York State on their professional development. So ensuring that child care is of a high quality throughout our state. And the third thing that CCRNRs do, along with the Early Care and Learning Council, is really focus on public policy and advocacy. So ensuring that child care is affordable, that it's high quality, and that our educators around the state are paid a fair wage. Well, it sounds like at the end of this, we're going to have to make sure that the contact information for the Early Care and Learning Council is in the, the box for when folks uh, listen to the podcast. I'm sure there's a lot of parents who are listening who are going to want to figure out how to connect with the folks in their region. Um, but in terms of child care, can you help us take a minute to just understand what the landscape of child care looks like? Because I, I know it ranges anywhere from like 
grandparents who watch kids all the way to facilities. Help us understand like what has been evolving over the last couple of years, but also sort of the impact on COVID uh, of like the availability of childcare. Sure, absolutely. So before COVID, childcare around New York State and really around the country was fragile at best. I, I kind of see it as it was on the brink of collapse. And we can get into that in a little bit. Um, but really, there's a few different what we call modalities of care. So a child care center, which is what you consider, you know, your brick and mortar, you see it in a strip mall. And there's children from six weeks of age, so infant care, to children 12 years old that are in a school age child care program. So that's a child care center or daycare. And then we have um, family care and group family care. So family care is uh, when a provider takes care of children in their home and they can serve three to three to six children at one time. And it's one adult watching all of the children. The number varies depending upon the number of infants in care. Infants are the most expensive children to care for and require a ratio of one adult to every four little, little babies. So then you have group family care and group family care is some in someone's home again, and it can range from children from um, seven children to 12 children. And again, again, depends on how many infants are in care. So when you're in a group family child care program, there's also an assistant teacher uh, that works with uh, the family or works with the children when there are more than six children um, present. So that's licensed and regulated care in New York State. So you have daycare centers, family, and group family. And so that's what the child care resource and referral agencies can help you locate. We also have something called legally exempt care or LE care, informal care. And that's typically when a parent, friend, family, or neighbor um, takes care of a child and it's for income eligible families that require um, assistance to help pay for child care, and that's legally exempt care. And then I touched upon school-age child care, which is for children before and after school while their parents are at work and they are in an elementary school setting. So a few different modalities. So right now, um, we think that there's about 17,000 licensed and regulated child care providers in New York State. And the average cost of infant care in New York State is $14,000 a year, which is more than a SUNY tuition. So imagine. Holy moly. Yeah. Parents have 18 years to pay for, to save for um, college, but they have maybe nine months to save for child care. So it's expensive. And it's it's very difficult to locate child care. And I can talk a lot about that uh, kind of going forward. Yeah, I remember um, when we had our second child. So we would have had at that point two infants <laughs> in child care. And, you know, the child care facility that we were looking at said, well, don't worry, you'll get a discount for the second kid. And we were like, amazing. It was like 10% off. <laughs> so it really was not a discount at all. Um, why do you think there's, um, there's not enough childcare and why do you think it's so expensive? Um, do you have some, like, I'm sure you have a premise around why there's not enough and why it costs so much. Sure. Well, I, what I'd love to do is I'll share a video with you that talks about why childcare is expensive. And it's like a three minute video that really talks through the fixed costs of operating a childcare center the licensing that's required, how the, the insurance that they need, and that the majority of care goes to paying 
childcare provider salaries. The piece about childcare provider salaries is on average, they make $12 an hour. And so childcare providers are leaving the workforce as minimum wage increases and the service industry is adapting that minimum wage um, increase. They can go work at Dunkin' Donuts, Price Chopper, um, you know, a variety of different locations that pay more than they would earn in childcare. Um, are you required to have a certification as a teacher or a, someone who's like, you know, providing that care? Yeah, we really encourage for childcare providers to kind of move through what we call a career ladder. So it starts with a CDA, which is basically a degree that they, they can obtain um, specific. It's the child. Uh, to, you're going to have to stop that because I can't remember what CDA stands for. Damn it. I don't even remember. This is where I fail. So they, I'll start again. So no they can get a, yeah, so they can get a CDA, um, an associate's degree, bachelor's, master's in early education. Um, and we have them just move through this career ladder. So definitely there's regulations for head teachers, um, program administrators, and all of that's regulated by New York state office of children and family services. Um, so you have so there's education that's required. They have to go to higher ed typically, incur a lot of debt, and then they make twelve dollars an hour. There are programs that New York State has implemented for um, child care scholarships through the SUNY system and the CUNY system, and we're really excited about some of that work that um, has occurred that helps child care providers that um, are employed in a, in a program and are looking to advance their education and earn more degrees. But here's the piece I think about child care. 64% of New York state is classified as a child care desert. So similar to a food desert, there's child care deserts in New York state. A child care desert is classified as an area not having enough slots or seats to adequately serve the number of children in a geographic area. Specifically, it is a census tract with more than 50 children under the age of five that contain either zero child care providers or so few options that there are more than three times as many children for licensed slots. And this is what I experienced when I was a mom with my first daughter 18 years ago. Um, I lived in a small rural town in upstate New York, and there was no licensed childcare facilities in my community. I know I could have gone with someone informally, but that's not what I was interested in doing. I knew that developmentally, she should be in a enrolled childcare program or licensed childcare program. So I drove an hour and five minutes a day to drop her off um, at a childcare facility near my office. I remember getting up at four o'clock in the morning. I was a single mom. I made $30,000. I had a master's degree and I still couldn't afford childcare. Um, and I didn't know about childcare subsidies that were available for low-income working families like myself. And, you know, I was fortunate that I had a family member that stepped up and helped me, but there's no way that I could have done it on my own. At that time, 18 years ago, I think that I was paying $300 a week for infant care. So it's tough. There are programs that are in place right now, a lot through um, federal relief dollars. And I can get into that if you'd like me to tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, that would be great. Because I think part of what I'm what I'm hearing is there's like this challenge around, there's just not enough. 
there's not enough volume, there's not enough availability. But then even when it's available, it's so unaffordable for many low income working families that they are unable to access it. And so um, in terms of what's available, um, I know like the Workforce Development Institute has run a child care subsidy program. Are there other places where folks can go or should go to look for subsidies? Yeah, absolutely. And so the state just rebranded the subsidy system and it's now called child care assistance. And effective August 1st, we'll see that families who earn 300% of the federal poverty level are eligible for child care assistance. And those are run through local departments of social services. So they can, families can call a child care uh, resource and referral agency, or they can go directly to their local uh, department of social services to access this assistance. Um, it's becoming more available. One of the things that we're really looking at doing is adapting a universal child care model or philosophy in New York State. Uh, Quebec uses it, um, and it's proven to be very successful. What that means, really, is that no family will pay more than 10% of their income toward child care. And it would be somewhat of a sliding scale. So the, those that earn more would, would pay a little more. Um, we're moving in that direction, but we're really not there yet. But this movement from 200% of federal poverty level to 300% of federal poverty level has been a big, big addition. And so 300% of federal poverty level for a family of four is around $83,000 a year. Not necessarily a survival budget for a family. $83,000 for a family four is tough which is really why they require um, childcare assistance. Childcare is expensive. And I wanted to kind of touch a little bit on um, some of the contributing factors to that and what has happened during the pandemic, Melinda. If, yeah, if please, know. please do. Absolutely. So as I mentioned before, pre-pandemic, childcare providers earned around $12 an hour and 60% of child care workers receive some sort of public assistance, which costs New York State $200 million a year. Um, 60%, so 60% of child care workers are women of color compared to, in New York State, compared to 40% nationwide. And women make up about 90% of the child care workforce. So at the height of the pandemic, 30% of child care work, child care providers closed in New York State. So the True numbers behind that is since January of 2020, there were over 3,500 program closures with only 2,000 new providers opening up. So it's a net loss of 1,326 regulated facilities in New York State uh, we lost since the start of the pandemic. So there were influxes of, of funding, obviously, that are meant to try to help that, but rising inflation costs, this looming recession, the need to pay childcare workers more, lack of disposable income for families have all really, um, it's been this perfect storm really ruining uh, a already fragile market. So I can talk a little bit about some of the federal relief that came through and sort of where that stands. Um, so I'll walk through what happened since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, can I, because I'm, I'm, what I'm really interested to understand, because I think one of the things that we see in workforce development is like, we look at the childcare sector and there's these massive infusions of cash coming from the federal and state levels. And as you can imagine, folks are like, well, where's that money one coming from and where is it going? Because we're not on the ground necessarily feeling this expanded access to childcare. So I think it'd be great for you to explain that. 
Um, but then also, um, you know, where are there some opportunities for us to really think about partnering as you all think about how you're recruiting, retaining, training, childcare workforce? Um, because again, it's such an essential need for the workforce system to be able to make sure that the folks going through training programs can actually stick when they get to the job. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. So um, I'll start with some of the federal relief funding that went through. So the first round of federal funding was called CARES funding, right? So the economy shut down, but childcare was deemed um, an essential workforce. And so they stayed open to a help to help essential workers go to work, hospital, subways, bus drivers, um, anyone that was deemed part of the essential workforce. So $20 million in actual grants to families were provided, those that were essential workers. Um, There was $10 million that went into PPE. I don't know if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, you couldn't find Clorox, wipes, toilet paper. Oh my gosh, can you even, uh, yes, we actually, for for NIATEP, we ended up sort of calling manufacturers to try to pool resources so that our members who were all also having to stay open, yeah, um, could access masks and gloves and things like that. Oh yeah, we got uh, distribution. I don't know if you got it as well, but of the hand sanitizer that was manufactured in the local like correction facilities. Yes, the and pump, the big pump, pump and it was yes. all over the place. But it was a you know it was a great move for New York to be able to do that. And so I remember when we were holed up in our home, really afraid of the virus and not sure what was going to happen. The child care resource and referral agency staff. We're driving around the state, handing out hand sanitizer, masks, et cetera, and, you know, stayed open to really make sure that we could, people could keep working. So there's been rounds of funding through um, the CARES Act, through ARPA, um, CURSA, and they've all gone to help try to stabilize, stabilize the childcare workforce. I think the thing that we're most proud of is most recently $1.1 billion was, um, given through the American Rescue Plan Act to New York State to stabilize child care. And to date, over $890 million has been given to over 15,000 child care providers. Um, there'll be a $901 million awarded. And child care providers were able to use that for a variety of different things, like six different buckets. Most of them used it to pay wages because it's expensive and they needed to retain staff. Um, so the child care resource and referral agencies worked with them to help kind of navigate this easy application portal, 10 minutes to apply, super easy, um, and work with them on really what it means to run a business, what it means to be part of um, a functioning workforce. And we help them with basic budget modeling, um, a variety of different things. So half of that 900 million went to group family programs, which is where we see a lot of childcare um, providers, um, where a lot of children go to childcare. So the other piece, what- So can I ask one quick quick question about that? So like, so is that sort of one-time infusion of cash- enough to keep these folks afloat or is this going to become a problem because okay it's it's a problem you're absolutely right so we heard stories from child care providers that incurred thirty thousand dollars of debt on their on their credit card just trying to stay open you know they might have had 10 kids in care and they went down to two so the essential worker scholarship helped a little the stabilization grants has helped get them out of debt but they still can't charge enough the true cost of childcare because the market can't bear it. 
So they charge what is what we call a market rate, which is the average average cost of care in a community based on locality and modality. Um, and it's not enough. So what's happening really is a major issue at the federal level. And so we're really trying to work with New York State Senator Schumer to ensure that in his budget reconciliation negotiations, child care has a spot and it doesn't right now. So we really need people to call Schumer's office and talk to him about how critical child care is. There are um, two senators, Patty Murray and Tim Kaine, have a proposal to help increase funding for child care. But honestly, Schumer's left it out and we need to do something about it because we're on a cliff. There's been this massive increase, billions of dollars of funding into the system. So child care providers have been able to play bonuses to staff. They've been able to um, institute hiring um, bonuses, uh, retention bonuses, maybe increase salary by a dollar or two an hour, which again, not enough, but they've been able to increase it. And if these federal subsidies go away, then it reverts back to the where the market was at the beginning of the pandemic, which was a market that was collapsing. Um, and so we're working around the clock to make sure that Senator Schumer includes this, but I'm not sure that it's going to happen. Can I also ask, um, one of the challenges that I know we also see is the challenge around like childcare that's not during your typical like eight to five or eight to six. Um, has there any been any expansion due to this influx of cash for like overnight childcare or third shift childcare? Yeah, absolutely. So um, recently there was a $100 million childcare deserts grant um, that was released. So the first round of funding was $70 million for new programs focused on infant care. Again, the most expensive part of child care and non-traditional hours, just like you said. So it's helping shift workers. It's helping people that don't work the normal nine to five jobs, which is a lot in New York state people. It's so uh, those types of programs don't exist. And that's what New York state is investing their money in. So we received 1700 applications the state did, and those awards will be announced any day, I think. And then Monday, $30 million will go out for the second round of child care deserts fundings, which will look at expanding capacity. So of existing programs. So again, that's really focused on the infants and toddlers in child care deserts, children with special needs, and those non-traditional hours. I, I don't know if you remember running, like running out the door from work to try to get to your kid before 6 p.m. Life doesn't stop at six. And uh you, you know, you're charged a fee when you're you're late. Totally. I remember standing outside the door at 7 a.m. with my babies waiting to drop them off so I could make the drive to child care. It's complicated. There's not it a, is. Yeah. It is. And I think the the fact that the state is taking the steps necessary and the fact that there's that much demand just for the application process to get these grants, I think is something that sort of indicates not only the need, but that there are people who are willing to do it. Yeah. Um, and now how do we sort of figure out a way to make it sustainable, right? Because um, I think that's the biggest challenge. So in thinking about the workforce system, what what do you think workforce development can do to help support um, making sure that you all have the right amount of folks who can actually provide childcare services, um, but also um, connect people who are looking for work 
or getting jobs um, to this childcare, um, these resources that you're providing, which seem amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, I, I watch it as my children, what my daughter just graduated from high school and the focus on non-traditional career pathways is such a critical piece of our conversation and it needs to become normalized, right? We need to normalize the fact that every child is not going to go to college and that they're going to enter into careers upon graduation that are fruitful, that are rewarding, that are, um, that pay extremely well. And we need to be able to normalize that behavior because I think the first thing that anyone asks a kid when they graduate from high school is, oh, so where are you going to college? And that doesn't have to be the question that we ask children. What's next? What what are your plans? What do you want to do? And so that partnership at really looking at how children or how teenagers can leave school and get involved in this in this pathway is uh, is critical. So New York State is uh, has a child care availability task force. It's a group of child care providers, parents, um, advocates like myself, um, people that are invested in early care and education that are looking at different modalities or means to try to increase the workforce. And one of those is through apprenticeships. So it's sort of at the beginning, the incubation stage, these apprenticeships. But I do think that with an increase of funding that'll help sustain that model, we can we can really look at people that are invested in the development of children. And remember brain development, right? The majority of brain development occurs before a child is three years old. It's so critical that we have compassionate uh individuals that are informed about um, child development, working with our little our little ones, our youngest learners. So these apprenticeships, I think, will really help um, increase the number of child care providers in the state. And I think we'll hear a lot more about that um, soon. But again, I touched base on um, SUNY and CUNY scholarships for people to look at increasing um you know, their access to education while they're working in a child care program. So that exists. And I think really it's trying to move early education from babysitting or daycare to early education. And so it's reducing that stigma of working in a child care program is different than working in an elementary school. We need to compensate our workers at the same same rate, same wages that that um, elementary school teachers have. And so we're seeing that happen with the increase of federal funding and state funding for three pre-K and four pre-K around the um, in, in the state's budget. I think that'll begin to help not enough, but we're moving in the right direction. And one of the things I want to just touch upon is women of color in the workforce. And so women of color are predominantly undercompensated compared to the right counterparts. So we find studies show that women of color are in um, infant and toddler classrooms, while their white counterparts are in three and four-year-old classrooms, which are traditionally or predominantly pre-K classrooms. So they're compensated compensated at the rate of um, an elementary school worker. And so the women of color in the infants and toddlers uh, rooms are the ones that are earning 12% or $12 an hour. Um, and we have to fix that. And New York State is paying attention to that, how we can how we can lift up the women of color that, that care for the majority of our children at the most critical time. 
Thank you for for sharing that. I think the the equity issue is something that we um, I'm so grateful you're continuing to bring that up because I think it's important. Um, and something that you're making me think about is, you know, we have obviously this massive program that's run out of OTDA um, called the Summer Youth Employment Program, of which a huge number of those slots tend to have young adults working like in school summer camps and stuff that often run by towns and counties and villages, all of that. But I'm wondering if there's like some sort of way that we can, you know, help young adults who end up getting placed in those occupations also do some career development or awareness around the larger, you know, working in childcare. Because again, if you're gravitating towards it over the summer as a, as a job, might be this is something you might want to do um, as a longer term career. Yeah, absolutely. I know that a few of the child care resource and referral agencies in New York City employ the summer workers. And so it's the first step, right, is informing them and educating about how important early education is. So it's starting to happen. I think, again, it goes to the piece of really speaking about how child care is a business, right, that it's not babysitting, that these are viable businesses that can provide for a family, and how we normalize that working in child care can be men, can be women, non-binary, doesn't matter. Right now, 90% of child care workers are women um, and 60% of those in New York State are women of color. So it's a field that has, um, you know, predominantly been focused on women, low-income wage earners, um, but it is changing I think the summer youth youth employment program really is a piece where we definitely need to have more conversations about that. How are we taking these children and exposing them to summer camps, different than childcare, but to school-age childcare programs and to doing internships, right, or working in these childcare centers because we need more of them to be committed to the work. And it's also, you know, I wanted to talk about the connection to businesses for a minute. Um, it's really important that businesses around the state recognize how important childcare is to their bottom line. And so across the country, right, businesses lose billions of dollars a year um, in lost revenues because of absences due to child lack of childcare with their employees. But there are companies around the country and here in New York State that are partnering with their local child care resource and referral agency and local child care providers to ensure that their employees have um, access to affordable quality child care. And so I can give an example of one of those if you'd like. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Corning Co-op, Corning in Corning, New York, does amazing work. Um, they have decades of experience working with the child care resource and referral agency in their area and actually operating child care programs. They're a an industry that often brings in international workers that one of their first questions when they're interviewing is, will you have a place for my child? And so Corning realized that that was critical, uh, that they needed to, in a very remote area, um, increase the number of slots or seats uh, for childcare. So they pay a portion of their employees' um, childcare uh, tuition. They subsidize the cost for members of their community as well. And they've seen a reduction in employee absences. They've seen um, an increase in longevity of the um, 
of their employees because there's quality affordable childcare that the business can support them with. So I'd encourage people that are listening to this to reach out to their local childcare resource and referral agency to find out how they can partner to help um, not only their employees, but help their entire community. You see it in Regeneron um, in the Capital District. Cummins Diesel in the far western part of New York State subsidizes child care and has child care centers. Um, they are slowly growing the need or the understanding that it does take public and private partnerships to ensure that this that this network, this fragile network is going to survive. Well, Meredith, thank you so much for taking the time to sort of walk us through all of this. I feel like we probably could talk for two hours and I still would just be scratching the surface, um, but your tremendous knowledge and advocacy around this work obviously has had paid off in significant dividends. We're talking billions of dollars. Um, so we're so grateful you joined us today and please do send along those resources because we'll make sure that those go into the description um, of the podcast so folks can easily find how to connect to the Early Care and Learning Council, but also the resource centers in their region. Thank you, Melinda. I really appreciate your support and your knowledge of childcare is incredible as well, always. So. It helps when you've got kids, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's right. It's very applicable, but thank Thanks you very much. Did you like what you listened to? You can download previous episodes at our website, niatep.org or on Apple or Spotify.